This copyrighted podcast of the James Perspective has been paid for and funded by James M. Wilkerson. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this podcast are a permutation and combination of words and sentences used in this podcast without the express written consent of James M. Wilkerson and the James Perspective is strictly prohibited. Gentlemen, good morning. It's cold outside. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is cold outside. Thirty-three degrees. You know, it got cold enough it caused potholes on the interstate. You know that bad, bad freeze we had. Yeah. yeah, it's it's all kind of potholes, and and everybody complains that we have potholes. I'm going like, well, you know, every ten years we'll get an ice over like that, and it destroys our roads, and you have to come back and fix them. It's just the way it is. Taxes will go up. They will. I wonder if anybody has gotten a ticket on that new road they've built yet. I was wondering if I should go try to get the first one. What new road? Right there out the window. Over there where the uh, uh, Bucky's is going? No. Oh, that. Yeah, I rode down there. Yeah. Yeah. Have you gotten a ticket on it? No. I want to be first. It's very curvy. <laughs> so, so how are you getting a ticket on it, James? Well, I guess you wait till you see a cop there and then speed. It, it's not enough well, room. It's not enough room to speed. You haven't driven. You have driven Glenn's car. It's like <laughs> oh yeah, I get, it, I get up. It's like Mister Freeze. It, you go to the speed of light almost immediately. <laughs> well, he needs to ride over here every Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I got. I guess everybody who listens knows that that's, that means that. That the giant preacher Chris Witt's here, Pastor Witt. Yes, yes, I am here. And Jim, the future giant preacher. Yes. Will be. Texas Jim. Texas Jim. Right, that's all, good. All eyes are on Texas today. Is he down at the border? No. Well, it's a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> on the border. Yeah, I think most of those are defunct. Anyway. anyway, and then and then, and then then Glenn is here. He's. He did, it sounds like the bubble didn't protect you too much from that storm, the the, the Bossier City bubble. Well, it didn't slide, so I'm good. Yeah, you so there you go. All right. Well, today the topic uh, apparently got the, for today. There apparently um, was um, brought up with Doc and Jim yesterday when they were talking. Like they like to talk on Sundays uh, to each other. So what I thought we would do is we would let Pastor Chris start with some some passages of the Bible, which is a, we've gotten that request that it start that way. So like the Catholic church, you don't do any homilies until you've read the scriptures. That's good. That's right. good. Well, let's hear some scripture. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 39, verse three, and I'm going to compare it to uh, the new Testament and what we have today in Jesus Christ, which is better. It's better than what they had in the old Testament. And so this is about Joseph, and it says, remember, he was sold into slavery. We know all of that, put in a pit, all of that. And it says uh, he, he was sold, and his master, in verse 3 of chapter 39, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Now, hold, that, on, hold on just a second. Somebody's okay. making noise on the other end. What are the two people on the phone? Oh, no. Go ahead. There it went. It stopped. That stopped. Okay. And uh, 
You know, many times if if you tried to preach gospel, and incidentally, gospel uh, means good news, no matter which language you look at it in, it is good news. And there's no bad news in it, except that you receive Jesus is all good news. Uh, the bad news is if you don't receive Jesus, then you have hell waiting on you. Well, <clears throat> a lot of times if you try to preach the gospel, which means good news, there are people that immediately ridicule you. And sometimes they act like that the Old, Old Testament, uh, you know, um, it, it, it's just so much different than the New Testament. But I'm here to tell you that we've got the blessings of the Old Testament. And notice that this master, he saw that the Lord was with him. He saw the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. A lot of people don't like to hear the word prosper anymore. Very weird, very strange. Uh, a lot of people think that when I, I preach some of the things I, I preach, because I believe that God called me to tell his people and teach his people about faith and how good. God is, and how miraculous Jesus still is today, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So yesterday when I preached, I brought up this, that when you look in the, in, in the word of God, there are scriptures that remind us, Jesus said, in the world, you shall have tribulation. A lot of people would like just to leave it right there. A lot of the old testimony services, it don't matter what denomination you were in, they'd get up and tell how the devil was after them all week long. You have to be probably my age to uh, remember such testimonies as that. But testimony services are pretty much out of churches today. Uh, I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. But <clears throat> even though I preach faith, Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation. But he doesn't stop there. He said, but give, get, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Yes, you're going to go through some stuff. Everybody always likes to bring up about how that Paul went through this and through that, and he went through all of these things. But I'm telling you, he never let go of God's unchanging hand, and he preached the gospel. And, and he wasn't uh, crying, poor old me, or anything like that. At the midnight hour when he was in prison, he, he and Silas began to sing songs to, to uh, the Heavenly Father. And it was about the midnight hour. And as they began to sing praises of God, the whole jailhouse began to shake and rock. I guess that's where Elvis got that song, Jailhouse Rock. James is looking at me very strange right now, but it's not making me nervous well, at all. Referenced, you referenced Elvis and Flip Wilson today. <laughs> well, whatever. But let's the try. devil made me do it. <laughs> let's try to go on if we can. <laughs> so in the world, in the world, we're in this world, this devil-driven world. In, in, in the world, you'll have tribulation. You're going to have troubles and problems. They're going to come. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So faith is extremely important because in Hebrews 11 and 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you got to believe that he is. Most preaching is done like he was, but he is. And he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we have to look at our lives. Are we diligently seeking the Lord? Uh, do we believe that he is or he was? A lot of the messages today are about how that you need to live right and all of that's good. There's a lot of Bible on how to live right. Gives you instructions how to live right. And it will bless you if you live right. But also we need to know 
the power that we've been given from the word of God and, and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're under a new covenant. In fact, according to the word of God, all the blessings of Abraham are now on us. According to the word of God, uh, through Jesus Christ, we become a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. One translation says a new species that never before existed. We're a child of God. Now, there's another scripture that says many are the afflictions of the righteous. This is in the Psalms 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, but the Lord does it say, but the Lord doesn't care? No. It said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of half of them? No, all of them. So if God's people keep going to church and hear about who Jesus was rather than who Jesus is and, and, and think that, uh, you know, the more uh, the more uh, education you are and, 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 and the more uh, less money that you have, the more holy you are. No, no. What matters is that you know that the hand of the Lord is on you. And the old man died and you put him in a water grave and you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And all things are possible to those who believe. Am I allowed to say amen on here? Yes, you you, yeah, you can. I just wish you'd quit shouting and dancing around. I almost put my hands up. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. Good stuff. Praise God. Well, I, I'm going to pause with that and... Listen to what needs to be said. I think you said what needs to be said. The question is, well, you know, does anybody want to say something to that? Amen. Yep. That's Mic a, drop. That's a, that's a good amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. I, uh, you know, I will say this, that, that when you say righteous living, that the Bible has a lot to say about that. And it's, it kind of struck me this week about that, that no, I don't, I, I love that Jim said this one time, we're not a, we're not a religion of karma, mm -hmm. Christianity. I like that. Karma. Yes. I like that. It, but I also think, you know, when growing up, I'm going to go back to the, the preacher that I had growing up at the Dallas Seminary, Seminary DTS um, grad. He, he taught that, that. God readies us for whatever it is he's going to do. That that's what the sanctification process is doing, is he's pushing, he's, he's getting us to the purpose he has for our life. And if you're going to prosper, I'm not saying that it's a, it, that it's a God, that it's a Christianity of, of karma, but if he needs you to do something and it requires wealth, isn't he going to work on your righteousness first? So you will, once you get that wealth, you don't go off the deep end, don't go crazy. Does that make sense, guys? No, that makes sense. But then you have to account for the wicked who get wealthy. Well, that's, that's, we don't, they're not gods. I don't worry about them. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about people who are supposed to be doing the Christian walk. Let's talk about Job for a minute, because he was doing everything just fine, and yet all kinds of things came against him. Right. So that's why we say it's not a religion of karma. Yeah. Okay. I agree. And But what I'm getting at, maybe, and I, so I didn't express what I'm saying well enough. All right. Let's suppose that God wants me to do something, and it is going to require money. If I don't know how to handle money and handle the traps of money and handle the evils that can come from 
the root, you know, from it is the love of money can cause evil. Um, then I, then I think that you have to go through a sanctification process first, a righteousness process, so he can have you ready to do whatever it is he needs you to do that requires money. Well, can I say something? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) When you tithe, you sanctify your money. And, uh, I preached tithing in a church yesterday and it, it concerned a minister and I know why, but I'm not going to go into details of that. But uh, when you tithe, then that sanctifies the rest of your money, sets it apart. The Bible says that we are to tithe and give offerings, and that if you do that, the windows of heaven will open up, pour out a blessing there's not room enough to receive. Now, that's not just a faith preacher saying that. That's the book of Malachi saying that. The tithing is something that will bless you in your finances and in every area of your life. Okay, well, I would say that, 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 I wouldn't disagree with that in this regard, that that God does command us to do it. And it's really just not wise to not do what he commands us to do. I know that was a double negative in English. We're not supposed to do that, but I was reading Spanish this morning, so it sounds okay. It's fine. All right. So, so um, what I'm getting at is that I do believe part of sanctification, setting aside for God's good work, is for you to tithe. I think it's to be baptized or certain things that it says to do these things that I'm not arguing. All right. What I am saying is, though, that it's not I don't think that righteousness agree with you. I'm agreeing with you that I don't think righteousness causes you to be rich. I don't think that does it because Job shows you for a few months, at least nine months. He wasn't um, the what I'm what I'm getting at is. It doesn't mean, but it does mean this: that if God wants to set aside, set you aside, and that for a purpose that requires money, He's probably got to prepare you for it for that type of a blessing. Mm-hmm. Does anybody disagree with me? So I don't me, mind being disagree. Yeah, yeah. Let me see if I can restate your argument. So you're saying that if God has a plan for you as far as prosperity goes, He first needs to make you righteous. Right. So He because well the re and the reason yes we become righteous the moment we're born again. We all so, so so he's he's talking about he's talking about sanctification, not like justification. Yes, we're made we're made righteous. Immediately. It's our guiding. It is it is the thing that that becomes our controlling instead of us in nature. Uh, it, it will be righteousness, right? Uh, but yeah. you still can say. But see, I define rich as more than enough. All right, but let's let, let, yeah. let's see if Jim can follow my thinking. And everything everybody yeah, no. thinks when I everybody thinks when I say rich, I'm talking about a million dollars, two million, fifty million, whatever. 4. No, 5. no, I'm talking about four point five. <laughs> I, I, I came up with it last night. Four point five is rich, but, but <laughs> it's it's actually more than enough. Okay, Go ahead, Jim. <laughs> I would like to. See, I want to see if he's following my argument. Okay, and yeah. then we're going to make you follow it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think I am to where you're saying that if God has a plan for you to be to have four point five million dollars, then he's going to first want to make sure that you're righteous. The only problem with that is not not justified righteous, Chris. Yeah. The only problem with that is that uh, Paul did great things and he was not not a multimillionaire. No, 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 but he's not saying he's not saying that necessarily follows that you'll be rich if you're righteous. He's saying that if God has a plan for you to be rich. Then he first needs to make you righteous. Well, he definitely has a plan for all of us to be rich with my definition. <laughs> all right. And that's if more God than enough. And everybody wants all to right. jump to millions of dollars. All right. 
No, we're not. What, what I am saying is this. What I am saying is whatever level of rich that God has in store for us, I do believe that he has to sanctify us to be ready for that level of wealth. I don't think that he's going to take just anybody who's who can't handle that temptation yet. And I want to tell you something. I have actually prayed that I don't have money that I can't handle, that I want to be able to handle it. And I don't have a problem with that. I don't. I don't. I will tell you this, that you know that old saying, but by the grace of God, there go I. Even though it's yes, not proper I, I know it. Yes. There I go. I know All the right. saying. Right. I, it's not just for drug addicts. It's not just for alcoholics. It's not for people who have had affairs or whatever. It's also for people I know who got rich and weren't ready for. And I and I I really do believe that 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 God sanctifies and He makes us. I do believe this. This much I we may be on the same page. If I am a recovering drug addict, and we know some people who in that church you founded that are remarkable examples of people who have recovered from and are great men of God now. I mean, you can't argue. Can I say Tim Higdon's name on here? Sure. What a just you know that is a you can't. He's, a, he's called and anointed by God. Absolutely, Absolutely no doubt. Is. And he was an addict. Yeah. Okay. But what God did do was give him more than he needed at that time. I don't think everybody can handle big well. But I think that if God wants you to handle big well, I know he will, he will do what he, it takes to sanctify you, to set you aside, to get you ready to handle that money. That was my prayer is to, to, to handle whatever what he gave me. Does that make sense? I hear what yeah, you're saying. Am, am, am I am I getting your argument right, though? I think so. Yes, um, yes, yes. I do. I think you are. I okay. think I think that he's got he's got to create. You know, to me, when you say righteousness, we're not any of us going to attain that goal in on on earth. But he will let he will he you will have a level that God can trust you with whatever he it is he blessing he has for you. Does that make sense? Yes. Now. So if I am getting your argument right, then what do you do about the examples of people who are Christians uh, who their church explode, like with an enormous amount of money and then fail? They're Christians. So how do you explain that sort of scenario? Well, well, maybe, you know, I I will say this. I'll go ahead and, and give a confession here. It happened to me. I've had great wealth and blew it. I don't think I was ready. And I think that's how God told me I wasn't ready. Just, just get to work. You got some things you got to take care of before. And, and I will tell you this. Part of my prayer during all that was, I don't want to get wealthy if it destroys my children. That I want to make sure that, that I can handle it and my children can handle it. And, and so, yeah, I failed. So, but, but you did acquire wealth. And so it's not necessarily... That could be part of the sanctifying. Yes, so acquiring wealth could be part of the sanctifying process, right? And failure of it. You you can't you know if you do it your way, you won't maintain it. Now, did I tithe? Yes, I did, and it still happened. Okay, so so um and 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 it was an amazing amount of money to tithe. Now, did I do it with as cheerful a heart as I should have? I think I did. I really do. Looking back on it, I was going to say, did I do it? And go, oh, man. I, should, I wish I didn't have to do this. I didn't. Well, I gave some money, and I did not have a cheerful heart, and I had it in my hand. And before I could put it in an offering plate, somebody came and gave me the exact amount that I was putting in yeah, the offering plate. That. So I tell it like this, that even with a bad attitude, God bless me. 
All right. So I, 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 that all fits. All right. So, so what I guess I'm saying is, Jim, I, I do believe that, that there is prosperity testing. Well, Job, Job went through it to some extent, but then when it was all said and done, he got double for his trouble. Yeah, Job's been on my mind. Not, and I, I'm not going through a Job period. Not at all. He's just been on my mind. I hope that doesn't mean I'm getting ready to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you text me something about Job, and I text you back, but I can't remember. I asked you how long it took to get to be have his, his wealth restored, and you said nine months. Yeah. That's because he couldn't have a baby till then. Didn't he get children restored too? Yes. Well, I don't know. Yes. No use yes. for me to. That's where the nine months come from. In nine months, he starts prospering again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, does that make sense, Jim, or do you not agree with that? I don't care. No, I, it, I don't it makes sense. Because, like, so if the Lord has a plan for you, he's going to sanctify you, and that could be giving you great wealth and you failing. Um, I'm not necessarily sure how much I agree with that because a lot of it is presuming what God does. And if we're on Job, that's a lot of the reason why people get in trouble is their presumption of who God is, well, what he's doing. You, you know how you growing up around the round table, I would say there's two sides to almost everything and you can't help the other side, whatever somebody did to you, but you can look at yourself and say, what did I do right and wrong during that situation? Yes, I tithe, but I did some other things wrong and lost it. And, and I, I don't blame God for that. I don't blame God for me losing. I'm going to blame myself because that's the only way I'm going to get better. And, um, and so what I'm getting at is, is that when, when you learned how to walk, I had to let you take off and bust it. We would call it busting it. You'd fall and we'd say, oh, you busted it. Well, that's learning to walk. And I think learning to have wealth probably takes a few busts, maybe. You know, some people, I guess, take off walking without falling, but most of us fall a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to think on that a little bit more. Well, the scripture says, getting back to uh, the scripture that I read about Joseph, how that God was with him, and people could see that God was with him. And so it was, it was like, they could see something supernatural through him. And, and that was uh, uh, Potiphar that could see that there was something supernatural working with him, in him. And the scripture says that if God be for us, who can be against us? And the Bible, uh, there's other scriptures that shows that the, as a born-again believer, God is with us. My, my whole thing is this, that if, if people don't develop their faith, and that's one of the things we're supposed to do. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if the word of God is not being preached as gospel, good news, then people's faith is not going to develop and grow. And they're going to look for negativity to come into their life rather than prosperity and blessings from God. And I think it's all in how you look at things. Uh, how, how, do, how do you look at things? Do you realize that everything that you have, God's given to you and he's, he's blessing you? And do you thank God for what he's given you? Uh, are you believing that God's going to continue to bless you? Uh, those are things that go through my mind. And I look at uh, people out in the congregation, and I know they've said under no hope, no help type of God. I mean, all they're going to do is get a ticket to heaven, and that's all. Well, God wants to give us a little bit of heaven right here on earth. And I believe that's missing in most of the uh, lectures and messages that are be, being preached in many of the pulpits today. 
All right. Well, that, let me, do you mind if I take a, a right hand turn or go another direction here? Yeah, you can take right hand, left hand. I don't like the left. <laughs> All right. So um, I, yesterday, the, the topic we were going to talk about today, yesterday I heard about it. And it's called, I think they were taught, calling it active Christianity. Is that what it, is that what you're calling it, Jim? It's a rough term, but action-oriented Christianity. Okay. And what do you mean by that? Um, I mean that it's not uh, Christianity that's confined to any knowledge or in any church, but uh, we're told that to love God is to obey his commands, to obey, to love Jesus particularly is to obey his commands. And I think that there's an overreaction to legalism generally today. I would agree. Explain that. So I think that there, we, we often conflate uh, effort with earning. So no, no one should believe that you can earn your salvation, but there is salvation and then effort uh, that needs to be had by Christians. And that, the uh, fruit of the faith determines whether it's alive or dead. I think there are a lot of people I'm not, I mean, yeah, in a, in a way I'm going to be criticizing the church. There are a lot of people who confine it to the church. They put Christianity at a tertiary level and um, it's put on the shelf until, uh, you know, the once a week comes around. Um, but then everything else is kind of put before the kingdom. And so my whole idea is that, if Christianity is real, then this encompasses the entire world. Like this encompasses encompasses the entire meaning of the history of the world. And so what does that mean for us? It means that whatever we're doing as far as putting anything above Christianity, then we're rebelling against Jesus in a sense. Um, and we're idolizing those things. And so um, Doc and I were talking more about this idea of, putting Christianity on the shelf, like we talk about it once a week or whatever, like we, we see that uh, our, our full-time jobs, that is the priority. And then if we have time, we do Christian things for the kingdom. What do you want me to do, quit my job? See, that's the first reaction that people have. Well, I'm asking. Like, I don't, I'm trying I mean, to figure I mean, out what you mean. Yeah. And so what I mean is that if Christianity is real, then that means that the kingdom is real and it's either you're going to be doing something actively for it or whatever you're doing is drawing you away from doing things for the kingdom. And so I'm not necessarily saying that you quit your job, but maybe reorient your job to where you're doing things for the kingdom. And so I'm not saying that you're not doing things for the kingdom. It has nothing to do with you particularly. Poor hand, maybe hand, blow. Hmm? Poor hand blow. For example. Yeah. Uh, how, how, say that again? For example, I went to Spanish again. I was reading Spanish this morning, so it's all in my brain. All right, so so give me an example of a lawyer how he would retask his his job to, to be Christian oriented. Yeah, so help the needy, help the poor, help the church, um, and it doesn't mean that you don't help paying clients, but you are giving yourself over and over and over again. I'm not saying that you're not doing that. I'm just saying that that would be an example of it. Like find a church that you can give your services to. Um, and I'd like to, it's a tough preaching because it does mean that like, it, especially in the American context that we're reorient, reorienting our jobs in a way that society by and large tells us is not the right way of going, going about doing it. 
Uh, but this really hit me because, well, first two things. I'm taking a resurrection course this semester, and I'm taking a missiology course. And sort of those two things combined have created a, I don't know, a tornado of like the central tenet of Christianity plus practical Christianity spinning in a circle with each other. And the deal is, is the more that I study the resurrection, the more that I'm blown away that it happens. Like it's one of those things where my naturalism mind, like I still, it's like getting out of a pool of naturalism. You're still wet with naturalism whenever you get out. And so my mind is just having trouble, like coming to grips with that, that this thing happened. Um, But the more that I see that the resurrection happened, the more my mind gets blown away. And the more that I realize if this happened, then that completely alters how I look at the history of the entire world and how I look at my life. Alongside this practical Christianity class I'm taking, which is missiology, and I started thinking about the missions that I had whenever I was in the Marine Corps and in baseball. We didn't, whenever I was, especially baseball, baseball is the better analogy here because I was a student first and foremost. Baseball only took up a sliver of my time every day. The rest of the day I was doing something else. Baseball, we didn't say, we'll meet once a week. If I have the time, I'll go to practice. If blah, 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 you know, making all sorts of excuses saying, if this, 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 then I'll put in time for Christianity. It's like, no, baseball was a priority uh, for that. Even though it was, I wasn't writing all the scholarship for baseball or anything like that, it was something that I wanted to do. It was something that I actively pursued. I could have quit the baseball team and have my school paid for no matter what, but something was driving me to do baseball every day. And that's far less important than Christianity, far less important than the kingdom. If the resurrection happened, if you literally believe that the resurrection happened, what those implications are for us. And so what I'm saying is that if that's true, then at least as far as what I'm seeing with the church, typically in the United States, we are doing nowhere near what we're supposed to be doing. I don't know, Jim. Um, I, I look at uh, a lot of different churches, uh, especially within the last year. I've attended a lot and I've, I've preached at different churches and the churches that are doing well are doing exactly what you described it should be. And there's there's like uh, uh, programs, patterns, uh, outreach, like even today, like. Years ago, the Baptist and myself, we uh, we used bus ministry. And that bus ministry, you got lots of people involved if you did it right, because you had a pastor for the bus. You had a song leader for the bus. The pastor for the bus would go visit others and talk, trying to get the children's parents to come. So they were uh, pressing the gospel and the church if it was growing, usually there were big days, big things that were going to happen. All of it was was focused in on getting people from outside inside. And that's why I have a problem with small churches, because they are not doing what you said. And I see it as in most of the large, larger churches I've gone to, if not ever one of them, they are all about getting people together, 
Sometimes I'm not sure. Well, I, I, I can't say that because even with their getting people together and there's visitors that's come to the church, they've made sure that you're welcome to come and get together with whatever project or or group meeting that it is. Today, small groups are, are coming into play. And I was in like three different small groups in, in the church that I pastored for many years. And uh, let me tell you, uh, faith was being built up in the people that came to the meeting. And it was a lot of fun to come to the meeting. It only lasted one hour. For the first 30 minutes, men could talk about whatever they wanted to talk about. The last 30 minutes, we'd get real serious, you might say, and we'd read a scripture, and then we would begin to speak to that scripture and even lay hands on people, uh, at least one time I can remember right off, and pray for people and pray for needs. So, I think the church is the body of Christ, but a church is like a football team. You've got to have a coach that can get the best quarterback, the best receiver, uh, good blockers. He's got to be able to look at, look out there and, and go to different colleges and try to find the best people that he can staff his team with. And that's the way with a, a pastor. If they do their job right, they're fixing that church up so it functions as the body of Christ. I hope this makes sense with what you're saying. But I'm I trying see, to connect it to what I'm saying. It, do, say that again. <laughs> what are you saying? I said I'm trying to connect it with what I'm saying. Okay. But I'm having trouble. Okay. Okay. Well, um, maybe because you need. What I'm, saying, what I'm saying is like yes. Uh, I think that this. I think that the here's here. Let me let me see if I can. Okay. Okay. More uh, concretely. Um, I think that the church needs to reorient from the local church being the priority and small house churches being the priority that meet every day. Well, um, and that's, and that's I think I think I think that the Western church is in a minority compared to the rest of the world and how they and how they practice. And the reason that I'm saying this is because if I could do what I did for baseball, which means a heck of a lot less than the kingdom then I can certainly do that for the kingdom, even if I'm not a quote unquote full time Christian, meaning that I work for the church or something. But you, you're, are you advocating disbanding churches? No, I'm advocating the meeting together once a week at the local church, meeting together every day as a small group. Well, okay, that, every I, I don't, day. I don't see where we see, have that's a problem. The reaction that you get. That is the Western reaction. That you get well, right I don't. I, I, I don't know about. I don't know about meeting every day, but I knew, do know about getting people involved through small groups, and and I've I've tried to explain that, and I've I've seen some fashion of that in some of the larger churches today, and w the church is the body of Christ, but He is the head. I, I cannot. You know, I've already said the negativity that I see some in in churches, but I'm going to give the positive side that I see in some churches. And uh, uh, the the big the big meeting where everybody gets together is very important because that's why you have an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher for the perfecting of the saints, so they can do the work of the ministry. And so I hear what you're saying on one hand. But I, I hear another side that I think is very wrong, and that is the disband, disbanding of the local church. I never said that. I never said disbanding. Well, your dad church. made me think you said dad. that. But then he corrected <laughs> Yes. He corrected you, but yeah. I, I didn't accept the correction. Yeah. 
Oh. Well, <laughs> well, so what I mean is that the priority is the home church. I don't even like call it small groups because that takes away from the church. Everywhere, everywhere else in the world, that's considered a church. Small groups are. Okay, so I like calling it home church because it emphasizes the church. But I'm advocating that that be prioritized over the local church that's not disbanded, but you meet once a week, the small group that you have. There's plenty of things. I am I am fully convicted of this, just observing the Western culture. There are plenty of things that people do during the day that they waste their time with that they could sacrifice for the kingdom. And they want to have a both-and viewpoint of, I want to do work for the kingdom and also do these things that waste your time. And you can't really have it that way. You're going to have to sacrifice something. Give me an example. Waste your time. Watching office? Yeah, scrolling on the phone, watching TV, uh, texting uh, many people during the day about politics or something, like all these things. And so there are lots of things that we could do to... Uh, minimize because politics is huge in the United States. That's one thing that I see is it's like that's what it, we identify ourselves politically more than we do religiously. And so uh, people want to pour their time and effort into that rather than into the kingdom. That's the thing that I'm generally see, seeing. And that's not like I know that that seems like an attack on the uh, on Charlotte's comrades. That's not. That is an observation I'm seeing with my friends. And so that's why I mean is that there are lots of things that we're doing to waste our time that we could be using to go on prayer walks or to uh, disciple each other. Okay. Uh, am I correct in saying that ecclesia, ecclesia is a Greek word? And if I am correct, what does it mean? Church assembly. Exactly. And he's not saying you don't have that. He's definitely not arguing that. That's easy. I understand what he's saying, James. Okay. I do understand. But I understand he is saying that the small group is Ecclesia also, and he's right. Oh. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that thank right? You, Chris. Huh? Yes. I said thank you, Chris. Okay. You're a good coach. Um, and, so, <laughs> anyway, the, <laughs> and so that's that's kind of what I'm talking about, because I know that um, it has to be something that caters to people who are not workers of the church because we have people who work at the church and that needs to it's not just that they need to meet every day that's like their full-time job 40 hours a week whatever it is like that's what they pour into but i'm talking about people who have a 40-hour work week that's quote-unquote secular even though you can reorient that toward the kingdom yes they even on top of that you can especially young adults young adults who don't have children can definitely pour their time into the kingdom like no other. In fact, I think that the young adult ministry should be the tip of the spear for the church as far as getting out and evangelizing. And I think that evangelizing is a legitimate practice. And I think that if you're not able to evangelize as far as like people who have families uh, and children and a wife at home, they can still meet in groups at home and pray for those who are evangelizing. Cause I do uh, the more and more I study this, and the more first, the more I get irritated that Western academics do not study this. And second, the more I believe in the power of prayer and miracles. So I believe that uh, there's a two part practice to this, that there are the young adults and the people who can go out and evangelize and disciple. And then there are those people who have families and things like that, who they're limited in what they can do, but they could certainly meet. Uh, at a round table in a house 
and pray for 30 minutes a night for those people who are going out evangelizing. And you know, and I think that these, these things can be daily practices. Yeah. And celebrate to me, celebrate recovery is the tip of the spear because all you have to do is go to, I think it's first Samuel chapter 22, when the cave Adullam, Adullam, ever how you pronounce it. And David's there and 400, 400 people, 400 of people that were down and out, busted and disgusted in debt and in distress came together around him. Why? Because he had just killed a giant and he had killed that giant, not with uh, his muscle, not with his brain, but he killed that giant by the, with the spirit of God. And so obviously these people that are the down and out of society today, if they can, if, if they can be brought in some fashion into the church, they will become these men that came to that cave were known as mighty, mighty warriors. They weren't just uh, flesh and blood, natural fighters. There was something on the spiritual side, on the supernatural side that caused them to win battles. And that's what that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at uh, like you talk about the more that you study some of this, the more you see the the miracle hand of God and, and the things that God's able to do. And if if that happens through small groups or whatever we want to call them, uh, uh, what, whatever you're describing, which sounds like small groups, if they if they really got a spiritual side to them, then uh, and, and then you got celebrate recovery and you got the down and out of the culture today and they go out, they're going to become mighty men for God. And we are called soldiers of the cross. And we are uh, told in Ephesians 6, we're taught, ta- it's told to us about all the armor we have, like the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, a shield of faith that takes care of all the fiery darts. And then when it gets to the sword of the spirit, which it calls the word of God, the word there is not logos, which is written, but the word there is rhema, which is spoken, the spoken word of God. You've got to speak the word of God over your life over your marriage, over your family, over your finances, over your health. You're supposed to speak the word of God because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so anyway, does that all make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 I, I believe what you're saying, but I, I look at it like this. Uh, a, a, a person that their candle is lit, and, and I mean they've been born again, and the candle is lit. In fact, in uh, I think it's in Psalms or Proverbs where it says the Lord will light your candle and then you'll run through a troop and leap over a wall. There's something supernatural in the born again believer that has to be told to him because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where I'm coming from. So I say no matter what kind of job you have, you work on the freight docks like I did at TOX, Texas, Oklahoma Express in Dallas, Texas. Uh, then you should be a hard worker. Uh, everybody should look at you and see that you got hustle in you. And people are going to start asking questions to you and you will have an open door for your light to shine on Jesus Christ. So no matter yeah. what, I don't care if you work at uh, uh, a fast food joint, you can still let your light shine for Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that you, it does mean that you'll be given opportunity to, to profess Jesus and, and to witness of Jesus, to the witness of Jesus. Right. Yeah. 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 And so, the, yeah. So you're you're hitting it on the head. As, as far as the reorienting of work doesn't mean that you quit your job. What it means is that you have oriented, oriented it in a way 
to where people who walk into it see this place as something that's entirely different right. from the Western world yes. or the rest of the world or whatever whatever part of the world you're in. I, I mean, and like – and like so, you, you on that job as a born again believer, you're going, you're going to, you're going to stand out. You're going to shine out, and and people are going to begin to question you about what is different about you. Yeah, and then it goes beyond that as far as there are practices that you could do every day that you could set time aside for. Um, that I, that I'm arguing that Christians uh, should start doing if they really do believe in the resurrection and the continuity between this life and the next life, that there are rewards and that there are losses that will be suffered even for those who are saved whenever uh, whenever we practice the things that we're practicing here. What? And so what, what, I'm, what I'm essentially saying is that the more and more that I study, the more and more charismatic I get, and also the more that I realize that there needs to be something else happening in the church that's not happening today. It's yes. really missing in the Western world. And, and I, the rest of the world is experience, is experiencing it. And I do preach that. And usually I take it from the message of the Shumanite woman who in, invited Elisha to come and eat at their home. She and her husband had him come. And finally she says, we're going to build onto the house. And they build on the house a room for him to stay in. They make it very comfortable. And out of that came a miracle of God. So here's what I say. He, he represented the double power of the Holy Spirit because he had he got double what Elijah had, his predecessor. And so what I'm talking about is he represented the presence and the power and the glory of God when he came and stayed at the house. And they made him very welcome at their house, so welcome at their house that they built a room on. So I take all of that and I begin to preach on prayer that you make room in your house for the Lord, because all the churches don't matter if we call them Amen, uh, if we call them Church of Christ or Baptist or Methodist or whatever. There used to be an Amen that came up out of the pulpit, and the Word of God says, "All the Word of God, let there be a yes. The Word is yes, and an Amen should rise up out of us." And you hardly go to any church anymore that you ever hear an Amen, which means so be it. All I'm saying is, is that even even our participation in the church, uh, that let men everywhere lift up holy hands. Uh, let there be a, a, a tongue, an interpretation of tongue. Uh, let there be the laying on of hands. Um, it goes on and on, the things that were in the early church. And, and in fact, if you really wanted to go to the early church, just go to the upper room. And uh, and and the spirit of God fell in that place. Now, my whole argument is this, that if you if you build on this room and I'm not talking about physically structured another room in your house, I'm talking about you make room in your house by you and your wife having prayer at some point every day, whether it's morning, afternoon or evening. You have prayer in your house. I'll tell you, since my wife and I began to do that a little more regular, I'm not saying we hit it every single day. But as we've done that more regular, I am hearing from God better than I've ever been able to hear from God before. You set yourself up for a miracle. Also, you don't go to church and say, preacher, pump me up if you can. I doubt that you can, but try. And and a song leader, try to pump us up. I doubt that you can, but try. No, you go to the house of God. You got an amen coming out of you and you're ready to worship God. If we get our church back to to all of that, no matter what the denomination is, 
we'll experience the presence of God in a stronger fashion than we've ever had it before. All right. So so what I'm getting at, well, I guess what I'm gathering, I'm going to bring Glenn on and see I've been on a while. So Glenn, get ready to, to, to give us your thoughts. But the problem I have with, with Jim's thing about cutting these things out is when will I work in a porn addiction or Taylor Swift addiction? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. That, that's right. Never mind. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know how I saw that. <laughs> you hand it off to me after you say that. Um, okay. Here's a couple of things. Um, how do you know people aren't doing it? That's and what it. I say by that is in this world currently, at least in the Western world, uh, for whatever reason, you know, you have this focus media that doesn't focus on this very thing you're talking about, Jim, and the pastor. They focus on other things. Now, Christians have fought back uh, with their own media, and in some ways, perhaps there's even a pushback to that in that they're making it too uh, entertaining, let's say, and not spiritual. Um, there's, I think we're bad at humans in general and bad at reading minds. Like we can't do it at all. So when we talk about these things, I think there is people who have this quiet, and I know it's not supposed to be quiet, I understand, but sometimes uh, quiet faith is in your mind, yet your actions produce show faith. Um, so I'm worried sometimes that we're missing the point because people aren't, you know, out evangelizing or whatever it may be, you know, they're not, they're not loud about it. And sometimes I think, I think what you do has a lot more to do with your faith and how you do it. And I don't know that every single minute of every day, and I know, you know, a few minutes a day, how do you know people aren't praying to the Lord? Now they might be, they might not be. I'm not sure exactly this small prayer group in your home isn't happening more often than you think. Um, I know in the Western world, you know, we don't emphasize that because that doesn't, that isn't monetized, as they say. Uh, so we tend to invoke what is monetized. Um, so, for instance, you know, if you look at entertainment, whatever, you know, people's minds have a amount that they can absorb at any given time. So daily prayer would be very good. Like daily study would be very good, a little bit at a time. But sometimes we forget about the context. People's lives do get busy. And once you have children, wow, it gets real busy real quick, um, mainly because you're trying to keep them alive. And they, I mean, basically, at the basic level, when you have children, you're trying to keep them alive. When you have family, you're trying to make sure that they're okay. When you have all these, I won't call them commitments, but more um, responsibilities, sometimes things get in the way. I think, you know, the Lord knows what's in our hearts. That's the one person who knows Jesus. So 
you know, I don't know that we can condemn people or even judge them because they aren't bringing together what we feel is worship. Well, let me let me say this, Glenn. I, I I don't think that any of us are really saying that we have any right to condemn anybody. I think Jim is saying we have the right maybe to condemn the way Western civilization is viewing church. That we can do. But I can't go, Glenn, you're yes, not doing sir. your job. I'm not yeah, I'm not I'm not judging anyone out of the kingdom. Can I say um a couple of things to your response, sure. Glenn? Um so if I'm getting it right, you're asking how uh, we know that Christians aren't meeting and praying um, daily. Yes. Okay. How do we know they are through, through Christian sanctioned surveys that I've read at DTS. So it's not it's not the secular surveys that you're seeing or going out and asking Christians what they're doing. It's like the church trying to get a pulse on its congregations and these collectively formed surveys that we could see, okay, what's the nas- national pulse? And uh, we can also simultaneously go more particular with it. And um, you would meet a very special person. And I think that we would all agree on this, who says that uh, we meet in a small group every day. And people are people are saying that they're not praying every day. Um, it's, it's not something, this is something that's being admitted, um, not something that we're assuming. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, there's a problem in the Western church. It's, it's in rapid decline, uh, whereas in other parts of the world. So let's go with Brazil, for instance. Brazil, is in, there's an amazing phenomenon happening there, uh, if you guys aren't aware of that. Well, it's but, been going on uh, for years, actually, if I understood things right, because they were being yeah. baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, like back in the 70s and 80s. And one denomination that I know of was thriving in in mm-hmm. brazil the right. voting machines yeah. say differently they're communists mm-hmm. yeah and so and so all of this is to say is that these aren't uh assumptions that these are things that americans are admitting themselves and that this is fitting in the common experience that i have and that i think that we all might share let, let me i don't know if jim knows this even even being my son i don't know if he does this, they, again, we had a DTS teacher, so a lot of this stuff has probably been passed down over the years and, and still struggling with the same thing. But, but, but the guy that we were under believed just exactly what Jim is saying, that there should be Bible, there should be meetings daily of the, of the members of the church. Okay. And the way my mom did it was she would actually find tapes of this guy and we would listen to it a while and then we would discuss it every day. And guys, I hated every day we did this. But now I have this, un- this knowledge of theology most don't have. She was right to make me do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, by the way, yeah, that's, that's something that you brought up a good point. I think the families can operate as a discipleship unit. And, and we did. We did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll never forget. I was in the room, her room listening to one of those things and she had people over. And one of them was Mary Lynn. You know her. She just lives in, uh, she's married to Gary and they live in Morgan City. So I was being the ADD kid I was before ADD medication. And I was putting my feet on different things underneath the bed, trying to figure out where they were while that sermon was going on. And one of the softest things I couldn't figure out was it was Mary, it was Mary Lynn's butt. <laughs> I was sitting there with my shoe and I carry my feet. And I can see her giving me a look in the mirror. 
that's what I remember from that from that small meeting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so because I know we're going to have to go soon. Here's another point that I'm going to hit on, and this is going to make me sound um, very charismatic, and I don't care because, like I said, the more I study, the more I believe in the power of prayer, the more I believe in miracles, and personally, I've, I've experienced the power of prayer recently, and so. There are several things um, that have led me to this conclusion, but there is a point that convicted me. Uh, and I was hearing this uh, person, Curtis Sargent. If you haven't listened to him, I would go listen to him. He takes long pauses between his words, and so he kind of takes some time getting his points across, but he makes some very good points. And one of them was he was part of an evangelizing group in China and one of the people that he was uh, either working with or overseeing, uh, he had two evangelists that were killed in northern China or something like that. And he tells Curtis that I have to go. I have to go immediately up there. Uh, and Curtis asked him why. And he said, well, I have two evangelists who were just killed up there and I need to go see if God wants to raise them from the dead. Um, Curtis then gave a testimony uh, after that that. He knew that God raises people from the dead. He believes that and that he knew of people who were raised from the dead. Now, if you go watch Curtis, the last thing you'll think is charismatic. This guy is like as matter of fact in tone as you can be. And the Western world, I think, is missing out on that because we assume that there are no miracles. Like I assumed for the longest time. And this is a again, this is a national pulse. Um like as far as uh, Western academia goes, especially there are people who believe in miracles that are outside of academia. So I will say that the surveys do show that people believe they've actually witnessed a miracle more than you would think uh, in the United States. But by and large, whenever someone dies, the last thing we think is to say, well, let's pray that God raises them from the dead. We say we're going to go consult. We're going to go offer comfort to their loved ones, which is great, like do that. But we never think, um, let's pray that God raises them from the dead or see if God wants to raise them from the dead. Yeah, my problem is at my age, I'm always jealous of the one who died. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, but anyway, I found that convicting because I think that uh, I'm, I'm hindering a lot of who I am because of my, like I said, I was getting out of the naturalism pool and I still got uh, naturalism water on me that I'm trying to dry off because uh, I'm drying off by study. All right. Let me ask uh, you this. I, I got to ask you this before you go because you're, you're obviously you're going to have to go because I've been holding this. I need downtime while I'm awake. So my downtime is not just sleeping. I need downtime. All right. And I'm not saying I need 15 hours of downtime, but I work very hard. I work until usually 6, 630. I'm very tired. And I don't even think I could go into a Bible study without that downtime. I have to do something, walk in the woods, uh, do something to get recharged to do anything. And I go to bed at 730 or so. So not a whole lot of time. When What are you saying? That I need to cut back on my hours at work? Don't have any Possibly. downtime? Um, Possibly. invite my wife on a walk and, and have the Bible study on a walk. What, what am I to do? And I'm asking, so possibly, I'm asking generally for in my situation. Yeah. So possibly, uh, cut down hours of work. Like you're at that point, you're prioritizing work over the kingdom. I would say now I don't know your context fully, but that would be it. Well, I mean, that I will say this, be it. 
Now, I did, probably from Chris, uh, the priority of my day is prayer. When I wake up in the morning, I start it very simply. I put my hand over on the bed, over to Charlotte's head, and I thank God for her. Then I thank God for that pillow that I have in that nice house that I have. And I thank him for the all the things he, I just think of everything I could be saying I'm thankful for. It could go on forever. Sometimes I have to just stop. And then I start praying about things that are important to me. I thank God for people. the blankets at night. Right. You but know, I mean, I, you know, I always pray for your Aunt Kim. And I pray for the people that I prayed for that day. You know, if it, it's a Sunday night that I'm going to bed, I remind the Lord what I told those people. And if they didn't get it right then, that they would receive it now, you know, when I pray. I, I don't pray at night. I don't know why. and Maybe I should. Uh, but But I will say this, that. I don't like wasting time. You know that about me at all. I don't like wasting any time. But there are times where it looks like I'm wasting time. And one of them is after this podcast. I have got to every day do a little downtime here. I've got to do something before I kick it into work. For whatever reason, I need a little downtime. But what you're saying is, instead of going till 6.30, shut her down when Charlotte gets home and do some Bible study with her. Mm, or something, yeah. Yeah, something daily. Have a daily practice, not just of... Uh isolated Christianity, but communal Christianity. I'll be Catholic by the end of the week. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, with that, I got to go. <laughs> that was great. Okay. Well, thank you, Jim. We will, we will shut it down because we haven't talked about PJ's coffee yet and some other things, but we'll shut it down. We're in the Steve 15, but thank you, Jim. Appreciate you coming on, yeah. buddy. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Yeah, yeah Jim, absolutely. blessings on you, bro. And we'll All right, thanks. Mm. All right, see you, Chris. Okay. See you guys. See ya. It, it is interesting to see his walk. Yes, it really is. You know where he came from. It's, it's amazing. Um, there's a bar stool. Those people did an interview him. I don't know who they are, but they're this crazy bunch of guys that they knew about Jim, and it wasn't what he's known for now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's it's amazing how God has a use for people. You don't you may no matter who you are, who how bad you think you are, if God has a plan for you, it's easy for him. He'll fix it. He'll get you on the right track. And I think that Tim Higdon and Jim are both examples. Yes, yes. Of that. And and Jim is a devout Christian and uh I'm very proud of him. He's not my son, but I know him. And I'm proud of... Uh, well, you saw it happening. Yeah, I, I'm proud of the walk that he has with Jesus and the um, the education that he's getting over there. And, and even with his father, which had to have been a great hindrance, he still... <laughs> it's miraculous. hindrance. <laughs> <laughs> It is amazing, but you know, you know, we didn't, we didn't do it the way my mother did it with that, you know, having that preacher play on a recording and have to sit still, and then, you know, then she would kind of talk to us afterwards. It worked. It obviously worked. Yes. But with me, it was more. I didn't. I did want to force Christianity on them. I wanted to introduce it, obviously, but not force it. I was afraid of. I, I always looked at it like, here's what was going through my mind. As a teenager, listening to those tapes and whatnot, I was going like, you know, if I were born in India, I'd probably be Buddhist. And if I was born in China, I'd probably be a communist. And if I was born in 
in Spain, I'd probably be a Catholic. That's what I thought. Okay. And I was going like, this is being forced on me. Now I would thought that. I thought that. I thought that. And I went, what does it have to be? So I did go through a period, not ever adopting Buddhism. I never adopted, um, you know, any other faith, but I did go out there and learn them because I was going like, what if I'm, what if my mom is wrong? You know, but then what happened, it occurred to me is goes, I'll tell you why, because I can feel the Holy Spirit working through me doing this method. And I can see that if I stray from the teaching that I've gotten, it doesn't work. You fail. That's why I was getting into that failure thing. I don't think failure is bad. Now I'm going right into some secular teaching that Glenn introduced to me during my downtimes. And that is, well, not really. It was about, about uptimes that we're anti-fragile, but that those type of things that hurt us make us stronger. And, you know, that, you know, in other words, our, our failures make us stronger. And, and if something bad happens to you, humans actually get better if they do the right things. And so what I'm getting at is, is that I came to my own conclusion that it was the right thing, that none of these other things worked. Um, I always I will say this last week. And that's kind of was hoping we were going back to that this week to finish it up. Um, when he was talking about that dualism, dualism meaning this, that there's an evil force of evil and there's a force of good and they're up against each other. Well, that sounds a whole lot like an angelic conflict that God and Satan are adversaries and they are. But the, 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 the thing that hit me was when Jim said, that's how the, the problem with that is, is it takes out the hypostatic union where Christ became man. And you can't have that in dualism. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, we, it was, I, I, I have read probably too much Zoroastrian teaching. And, and it was because I was trying to figure out where they thought this was heading. And you know what it is? Just a victory of good. Well, that's not good enough. You know what I'm saying? God's gonna, God is resurrecting us. He's taking us and, and giving us a, a perfect body. It's, it's not even, it's, dualism doesn't do that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so I was hoping we were going to finish on that. But where am I going with where, where I'm going with this is that I think that's what we really did in our house. I didn't call it a small group, but my kids were required to be at the night meal. I don't care if you had baseball. I don't care if you had whatever. You couldn't you when basically we would say, OK, baseball is over. We're meeting at this time. We're going to have a meal. And that's all we called it. We called it the meal. But what was I doing? I was talking to them about these things and but i did not force it on them and not on none of my kids and they're all christians as you know um but i didn't force it on them at all i don't know if that was right or wrong but that's what it did it worked <laughs> <laughs> it was right that was another thing i'll tell you is anybody listen to this if you have children and you're struggling with what's right and what's wrong i can promise you this every single time i prayed for guidance on what to do with my children he answered that prayer yeah. 100% of the time. Yeah. If I gave advice to them without praying, it wasn't 100%. <laughs> you know, my, my 25-year-old son that lives in Waco, Texas, engineering degree from tech. Uh, he was That's at, a proud papa to say it yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah, he, was, uh, he was at my house uh, Saturday, I believe it was. And uh, so... I went back over a little bit of our genealogy, and and usually when I do that, I do uh, go into the. Is that part. the science of your wife genealogy? Yeah, <laughs> and so I usually I usually go over uh, Christianity in our family, 
and and you know the the part that that has played in our family. And it would have been wonderful if we would have done more like what you have done, because so much around the table with children, even when they're little, is extremely important. Absolutely, yeah. we do it with our grandchildren now. Yeah. You know, it's it's there's no question. There's no question. I uh, I do. I have to say this. It is funny um, how much I do appreciate my parents. How much, how good they were. Uh, you know, bringing us up in the '60s and early '70s was not an easy thing, like it's not now. Yeah. There's times where it seems to be a little less. But you know, you think about the '80s. What was being pushed on us? Madonna. Think about that. You, and, and now it's Taylor Swift. You can't you can't you can't live without hearing about those guys. So, so it's always been tough. It really has. It, but you got to do it. So, what do you think? You think you think that every day we should have a small group? That's, I don't personally believe that. That's awful. But it's 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 a good goal. But I don't think that it's a necessary goal. It, I, it would. It, I would have to stop at four o'clock working to be able to do something like that. And maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe eight hours. This, this idea of eight hour work days is not. But, you know, I'm, I'm still going strong at 4 o'clock. In fact, some of my best work gets done between 3.30 and I go for a walk at 3 every day. I get back somewhere between 3.30, 3.45, and I go back to work, and it's tremendous uh, uh, amount of work is produced during that little time. I can believe that. Is, that, is he saying that should be focused on something else? No, what? no. I think this is the way I look at it, and I've already explained this uh, in, in this uh, podcast. But you and your wife, that's that's the family now. I mean, you have the other parts of the family, which at holidays, something can be said about Jesus. She's the Jesus. sexiest part of it. But, but She's the sexiest part of my family. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so anyhow, you two praying together is tremendous. And you know, here's the thing that's ignored in most churches, and that's the casting out of devils. A born-again believer cannot have a demon in them, but there can be dumb, demonic powers that come against your mind. And those can be dealt with because we've got power, the scripture says, over all the power of the devil. Yet we act like the devil's not working. And he is working. See, that's the part of dualism I like. They, they, they take a little truth, right? But I like that. They, they always, if you were Zoroastrian, you knew there was a force of evil. You know, and I think sometimes we, I agree with you. We play that down. Yeah. I think communism, can I do that? We, let me do, do me a favor, and then we're going to let Glenn close with PJs. Okay. I want you to tell the people again why communism is evil and anti-Bible. You're so good at that. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I do believe that it's demonic, and uh, they, don't, they don't believe in God, as far as I know. They don't. They don't. And, uh, they want to just, uh, you know, kind of uh, make sure that everybody has a certain level, but that that level you cannot get beyond that level. Whereas in our nation we have the the freedom that uh, no matter where you were born, which side of the tracks you were born on, the the top is for anybody if they're willing to pay the price to go there. Because I, I will tell you this that that's my third thing every morning. I thank God for my wife. I thank God for my house and my business and those things that he has just directly blessed me for with. And my third thing is a is a is a prayer asking 
to deliver us from the evils of communism. I, I can't demonstrate. I can't. I can't emphasize this enough to our listeners. It's not something you can defeat by reading, reading Twitter, and it can't. It's not something you can defeat by going to Gateway Pundit. You can't do that. Now, going to the James perspective, you probably can defeat it. And <laughs> and communism is in America today is is at the strongest level that it's ever been it in is. our lifetime. There, there, I, I feel like this. This is what I'm going to tell you. I have thought about this idea of what's going on with Satan's mind, knowing that the end times are coming, that the tribulation is coming. He's going to have his last shot. It's going to be a desperate alley-oop. I mean, alley-oop, Hail Mary throwing out there, trying to see what he can come up with. I feel like that's just going on with the Communist Party right now, Communist people right now in this right world. Right now in this nation. In this world. I want to tell you, that there's, 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 there's. You know, because everything, that's the amazing thing. Everything that we're battling with, these other countries are battling with it too. Right. And you can see that. You can All this wokeness. You can see the, the, the farmers protesting. There's things that are happening. They're saying we're not going to put up with this communism. And it's, so, it's hidden by so many things. Woke with green, you know, with uh, global warming, those type of things. You're not going to defeat it, though, by griping about it. You're going to defeat it by prayer and saying, God, this thing is a, a force of evil that's coming in and you're going to it needs to be defeated. And you can't you're not going to defeat it any and, other way. And thank God for 25, 26 uh, states right now that are standing up for freedom and for our country. My first my first tweet is going to be we're going to talk about it when we get off here. My first tweet is going to be. I think I sent it to you this morning is the Bible says to focus on what's true, honorable, correct, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise. So this morning I'm focused on Texas. Yes. Pray for Texas. Yes. We're there. We need we need, that's where we need to be. It needs right. to be prayer for those people. Yeah. Abbott standing up to them. Paxton standing up to them. We need to be praying for them. I, in fact, I pray, Heavenly Father, be with them right now. Give them strength and let them, Fight off the evil that's going to be trying to stop them. Now, Glenn, I need to know: Are you are you on? Are you currently on a high from PJ's coffee? Well, yes. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, so, of course, I'm on a high from PJ's coffee because I have a delicious carnival blend uh, in my cup right now, and uh, I just know that if you do. A great place to sit and pray with your spouse or whoever or small groups would be the PJs in Haunt, where you can get delicious coffee, focus you more, uh, all natural Red Bull, of course, delicious pastries, wonderful breakfast and lunch sandwiches, zapped chips in a wonderful environment that is clean and um, serene. What do you have special, if anything, for the carnival season? Well, we do have king cake lattes. What uh, exit? What exit do you get off at I twenty to make PJ's call? Ooh, the exit! It's a hot exit. Uh, as you're if you're coming out of the Shreveport from Texas to Monroe, you get off. Uh, one of the last exits will be hot. It might be kind of crowded. There's a love for a pilot on that exit, right? There is. That's where you know uh, to go. The you know, don't get close there, trust me. Anyway, uh, but then you'll see the PJ sign and just That's right. pull off right there. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, guys. 
I really mean this. I enjoy hearing you and Jim and Glenn talk about these things. It's wonderful. Appreciate the listener, the listeners, and we'll be back tomorrow with Technology Thursday. Bye bye. Bye bye.